Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening colour. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing the shapers of the business world together with the musicians shaping jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Andrea Berkowitz, co-founder of Vera Health, a digital health company focused on improving long-term health for women. After 10 years in a consultancy role focusing on the women's health market, Andrea met her future co-founder, Rebecca Love, who shared her frustration at what they call the gender data gap in healthcare and how little research there is on female-focused issues, especially menopause. Seeking to tackle this, Andrea and Rebecca set their sights on menopause treatment, knowing the huge impact it can have on women's long-term health and on gender equity in the workplace. They launched Vera Health in 2020 with core product Stella, an app supporting menopause sufferers with bespoke, expert-led treatment plans. And having raised over $15 million in fundraising since launching, they plan to expand into the US, conduct clinical trials and develop a telemedicine service providing virtual consultations and prescribed pharmaceuticals such as hormone treatments. Hello, it's lovely to have you here. Thank in you. your own words, tell me what Vera Health is. If you were pitching me and I happen to be wanting to invest another few million dollars, Andrea, because of course that's what's going to happen, what would you say? Well, first I'd say, well done. You did an excellent intro. And it's so rare I get to talk to people who kind of already know a little bit about menopause or think it matters. But if I was pitching you, I'd say, you know, we have an opportunity to extend healthy life expectancy for women, which means they can work longer if they want to. They can be more in control of what they do, how they exercise, how they vacation, how they parent, how they care for their parents, you know, how they live their lives to their fullest and and the way we can do that is actually better menopause care, which I think feels perhaps a bit at odds. Menopause is something that happens kind of 45 to 55. Maybe the symptoms are a little bit earlier, or a little bit later. So like, why does it play such an outsized role in, in the rest of their lives? And I think there's a couple reasons for that. First, 45 to 55 is a very serious time. It's probably when you have caring responsibilities up and down, kids and parents. You're probably senior at work probably making some of the highest salary you've made. So it really matters that you can kind of concentrate that. Also, 10 years of disruptive symptoms, like not sleeping very well, heart palpitations, joint pain, really crazy periods, all that kind of stuff. It's incredibly disruptive and like long-term disruption. That's awful. You don't want that for anyone. And then the thing we care about the most is this connection to later life health. So not sleeping for 10 years, that has a huge implication for your risk of Alzheimer's and dementia. Or gaining weight, which happens to a lot of women at menopause, that totally changes your risk profile for cardiovascular disease. And so what we want to say is women have this need right now. They need help to manage these symptoms, to get back into the life they want. But there's also this great knock-on effect of lifetime health, which we want to deliver. What I find extraordinary is, and I'm 51, so um, surrounded by women who are between 45 and 55, whether it's uh, mother half or whether it's lots and lots of friends, what I find extraordinary is that this conversation is a new one. And like so many conversations around taboos, whether it's periods, which are now, again, big retailers are changing the name of... I love you know, that. ...which is extraordinary, which is absolutely, again, about 50 years late, but let's, let's not go there for a moment. Why has it taken this long for this conversation, which are, you know, my mum would have gone through, her mum before her, and so on and so forth. It's everywhere. Why was it such a taboo? 
Um, do you not find it extraordinary that before you and and before the other people in the industry, there weren't more voices yeah. and more action? I find it completely extraordinary. I mean, I think oftentimes people expect that I have some like really harrowing story about menopause. You know, like my mother had this terrible menopause and therefore I know about it. And, and that's not the case. Um, I think looking back on it, she probably had a tougher time than, than we talked about at the time. But um, I think there are a couple of things. First, I think there is some structural stuff. So women in the workplace is a relatively new, women have always worked and they've always worked in their 50s, but kind of women in senior positions with means in the workplace, that is different. And going through menopause and dealing with these symptoms, you know, in a Mishkandarea office is very different than doing it at home. And so I think there are some pressures. You just need more assistance. And I think that makes a difference. I think the pressures from younger people in talking about periods and then in um, kind of early motherhood conversations about fertility and, you know, how to come back to work after you've had a kid. I think that that pressure that's come from much younger women has also just led this conversation to grow. Like, what else are we not talking about, whether it's endometriosis or PCOS or kind of any other women's health issue? I think that has made a difference. I also think there's just been some great efforts by people, particularly in the UK, you know, the Channel 4 documentary, uh, there's some amazing doctors that are, you know, on Twitter, are out there kind of talking about these issues. And I think that that our business is coming along at a time when there is more conversation, which is great. And now it's time to move from awareness and conversation to like, what can we actually do? Like, how do we make sure that more support goes to these women, that there are better treatment options, that are more access to those treatment options, I think that's kind of the next step of this uh, voyage. If the turning conversations into action point for you specifically, a McKinsey consultant, both in South Africa and then in London, someone who I, who I read has always been interested in reproductive health and women's health. Where does that come from, apart from being a woman, Andrew, which is the obvious point, but why, why this particular topic? Why do you think it was of such interest to you intrinsically at a young age? That's such a good question, and one... I don't have a great answer to. It was kind of always obvious to me that women's health was underserved. I mean, even the idea that Planned Parenthood, you know, that a charity, an amazing organization, but something that felt kind of next to traditional healthcare was where you went for women's health. You know, I grew up in a time when obviously Roe versus Wade was, was law mm. um, and that's changing now. But I think I always had a sense that that women's health was not kind of safe and that that it was taboo, that the conversations around sexual health, around contraception, that that wasn't out in the open and that you had to kind of find safe places to get your questions answered. And the places that were answering those questions, I was just really impressed by. So whether that was, you know, a charity or, you know, a, a group or anything, I just, I thought that was good work and important work. And then when I started working with McKinsey, I was fortunate enough to be able to do some work with women's health, so maternal health, and then also family planning, so with pharmaceutical companies and with big philanthropic organizations about how you scale up access to family planning. And I just, you know, it's so obvious to me that 
women's health issues are part and parcel of like women's economic empowerment. That a healthy person who's not worried about their access to health, that feels good, that knows what's going on in their body, that person is going to be a better worker or is going to be, you know, able to pursue dreams with, you know, more gusto. And so health just feels so intertwined with your ability to work and therefore your ability to kind of, you know, realize advancement and all the things that come with, you know, success at work and access to money and all those sorts of things. It's part of the gender pay gap. It's part of, you know, all of these big issues. And so I think that's why women's health has always been interesting to me. And a a turning point I do often talk about is when I, I quit my job at McKinsey and it was the summer of 2019 and I read Invisible Women by Caroline Criado Perez. And this book is about the data gap or the gender data gap kind of writ large. And there's this chapter, I think it's chapter 10, called The Drugs Don't Work. And she systematically kind of illustrates what's happened, you know, why women haven't participated in clinical trials or why certain drugs have been based on, you know, disproportionately male data or why drugs that are about male conditions have, you know, kind of received more marketing or whatever it is. And I didn't realize how underserved I was in the healthcare system. And I found it so, um, like, angering. Mm. I was really upset by it. And I thought, like, there is an opportunity to change this. People don't wake up. Some people wake up as misogynists, but people don't wake up in the morning and say, like, I hate women. I don't want them to have healthcare. There's just, like, an inertia or there's a there's a system and people are moving forward and they want to do, they probably want to fix it, but they don't necessarily know how. And I think that tech and kind of women's health focused companies that are, you know, working in these areas, collecting data and, you know, being responsible is just so important in actually moving from identifying this problem. Oh my goodness. Why isn't women's healthcare better to what can we do? And that's the role that we hope to play. Well, that's a pretty decent answer to the why you move from thinking about this to doing it. Um, Fantastic. And as you said, it's a structural issue. And structural issues are big problems. And and quite rightly, you're addressing that. And it's it's absolutely the right thing to do. Stay with me for much more from my guest, Andrew Berkovich. She's coming back in a couple of minutes. Right now, though, we're going to taste it from the Mishcon Innovation Series, a new podcast which can be found on all the major podcast platforms. Natasha Knight invites business founders to share their industry insights and practical advice. For those of you thinking about getting into an industry and starting your very own thing, just like Andrea. In this clip, focusing on the health and wellness industries, we hear from Ruby Rout, CEO and co-founder of Wooker, the UK's first eco-friendly period underwear brand. The Mishcon Innovation Series. Insights from founders for your future business. In association with Jazz Shapers, with Mishcon Derea. Start at the small scale, something that I learned, and I think one of the reasons that we became successful was when I launched, I only launched with one product. It is very easy to get overwhelmed with like so many choices and willing to give so many choices to people, but create a product that actually does the job and stick to it for a quite a bit of longer period of time till you get the grasp of all idea of like how to run the business. Because easily you will get like quite a lot of people come in and telling you like, oh, can you do this in like different style, different colors or with any other wellness product as well? I think so. And you will get like overwhelming feedback. But I guess stick to one thing and do best at one thing before you start diverting or trying a few other different things. I guess the other thing I would definitely would say is like, don't get put off by how much it costs to set up a business. 
There are so many things that you can hustle your way through in the early stage. Make a prototype, you know, talk to your friends and families. I think that is the best way to get started. I clearly remember this two-day MBA course that I did in, in London called Lean Startup Machine. The idea was you go pitch your idea and if people love the idea, they will form a group and you create a business there and then. So that's how lean you should be. You should not think that, okay, these are the things that are going to be obstacle in front of me, but like do a small steps at a time and hustle your way through the first stages. And that's exactly how I did it. The Mishcon Innovation Series in association with Jazz Shapers with Mishcon Dereya. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishcon Dereya. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former business shapers on the Jazz Shapers podcast. And you can hear this very program again if you pop Jazz Shapers into your platform of choice. But back to today's guest, Andrea Berkowitz, co-founder of Vera Health, a digital health company focusing on improving long-term health for women. And we heard you very articulately explaining what prompted you, and it was not an overnight thing. I, I've met many people in all different cohorts from the, from the world of people that set up a business. And one of those cohorts is from the consulting world. And McKinsey falls in there and BCG falls in there and, and, and a fair few others that you, many people listening and you would have obviously heard of. What's it like shifting from the analysis of the problem to dealing with the problem? And I don't mean that rudely because obviously the industry is extraordinary. And indeed, I encourage my children to look at the consultancy world because it just gives you such a thorough area to focus on and, and the in, importance of data and the importance of really, really detailed and robust research. But moving into when running a business, what did you find you had in the hopper to do it and what, what were you lacking? That is a great question. What I often say was amazing about working at a place like McKinsey, and as you said, there are many places like McKinsey, was this piece about rigor, research and data. And also just, it really taught me to work you know, like that's something that I certainly had to learn. And I see now that I hire young people like, you know, what is a day's work? You come in, you turn on your computer and then what? And what I certainly learned at McKinsey was like, and then what? You figure out what needs doing. You ask as many questions as you can. You formulate a hypothesis. You test it. If it's wrong, you find another one. If it's right, you keep trying to test if it's right. You look for expertise wherever you can find it, whether that's interviewing people or, you know, reading research papers. Just that kind of keep pushing, try to figure out if what you think is wrong, like that kind of really introspective hypothesis checking. Like I learned that at McKinsey, and I think you learn that in like at the risk of being crass, really expensive professional service. Like client service means you are delivering something to someone. It has to have value. Like you have to say, you know, I've done something faster or better or more, more something than what they could have done on their own. And I think doing that from a young age, you certainly learn, as you said, a rigor and a stamina. <laughs> and it also just opened my eyes to people around the world, to all sorts of different business questions, moral questions, growth questions, you know, really like the full gamut of what a business could be dealing with, talent questions, and I'm grateful for that. However, starting a business <laughs> does require different skills. And so, you know, I, five years ago, felt very comfortable walking into, you know, a boardroom of a major, you know, Fortune 500 company 
And now I kind of look at my little company and I think, well, what is similar, right? Like, you know, my board, we're five people. We meet for 90 minutes every three months. The day-to-day of what you have to do in a startup is just, it's so much more granular. Like we have to keep the lights on, you know, so you have to, to be willing to do anything and everything. So like those underpinnings of drive and stamina and try and do a good job, that's important. But like in a startup, you have to do so much more tactical stuff. Like if you're going to do some digital marketing, someone has to learn in the beginning about Instagram and Facebook and ads and what you do. Maybe that's me. I don't. I didn't know anything about that two weeks ago, but there's no one else who can learn. So I guess that's me. Or you need to, you know, build a website. It's like, okay, well, we could hire a designer and we should soon, but maybe in the beginning, like I'll give it a bash on, you know, Wix or Squarespace. And I think there's so much that you just have to take on as an early stage founder and give it a try. I'm so grateful to have a co-founder because we get to split that. You get to say like, okay, I'm obviously going to be good at this and you're obviously going to be good at that. Now there's this whole universe of stuff that neither of us has any experience. So we'll just divvy that up and give it a try. So that's that's a big thing. And then also there is just a seriousness piece that is different. And it's not to say that consulting isn't serious, but when you are responsible for the paychecks of your staff and those paychecks are what pay school fees and healthcare costs and all of the other food, <laughs> all of that, and not just the money, you're responsible for those people's professional development. You know, they could go anywhere and they have chosen to entrust you with their careers. That is incredibly serious. And I'm enjoying it and that's great. Uh, but I underestimated how, just how serious that would feel. Those people you brought in and you alluded to, it, you said, you know, big responsibility for those individuals that have chosen to work with you. How have you found the right people? And what happens when you know that that person you brought in is not the right person? Assuming that's happened, of course, and I am assuming. And it's small, and that's why I asked the question, because yeah. it, obviously it really matters. It re- every employee in every business matters, but it really matters when it's a small team and you're on a mission and you've been funded and so on and so forth. It sure does. And in this distributed world where so much of our interaction is happening on Slack or Zoom or email or text, but just not in person, it really matters. Um, culture always matters, but it is, I find it harder to manage in this really distributed kind of very tech-based world. Finding people has obviously changed as we've grown as a business. So I remember Rebecca and I with a PowerPoint in early 2020 convincing the first people to join. It was a pitch every time, you know, this is what we're going to do. Isn't this an important thing? Come join us. And I think the people that that took a lark on us in the beginning, I will be forever grateful to because they saw in us something that more people have seen since then, but but really did take take a leap of faith. As we have raised more money and our profile has increased and people are using the product, and so there's just, you know, some some chat out there that this is a real thing, it has become a little bit easier to hire people. I think because we're such a mission-driven business, the people that want to work for us, they they do want to do good things. And there's something lovely about that, right? And so I don't think every, you know, engineer, every marketing professional that works for us wakes up every day and is like desperate to improve menopause care, but they are looking for a role where they are doing good. And they say, you know, I have my skills. I'm going to give them for eight to 10 hours a day. I would like to give them to a company that I think is in general making a positive impact on the world. And we are there for it, which is important because there is a talent crisis right Mm. now. It is hard to find people. 
we all have ups and downs, right? You know, like we're all human. And so sometimes you're happy and sometimes you're a bit sad and it could have to do with work or it could not have to do with work. And that emotional roller coaster made worse by a pandemic, it's really felt within a business in the early stage when you're a few people. And I think that's something we really try to to take care of. We hired, you know, a person to lead on people and talent really early to make sure that our staff did have someone to talk to that wasn't me and Rebecca, the founders of the business, their boss, that was someone additional. And I think that that's helped a lot. I think also sometimes you do just realize we're not the place for someone anymore. Like they want to do something else. And we've tried to find those early and and talk to those people and say, like, if you want to do something else, that's great. How can we help you go do this other thing? But talent's really difficult and it's critical to grow the business. And I want people to have a great experience, but everyone's great experience looks different. And so managing all those different things, it is a huge challenge. Stay with me for my final chat with my guest, Andrea Berkowitz. And we've got a great track from John Batty's multi-award winning album, We Are. That's in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Andrew Berkowitz is my business shaper. Just for a few more minutes, we've been talking about all sorts of things. Obviously, this is a values-driven business, This is, but it's not just values, Andrew. When you talk, it's it's clear you know your subject and you don't just know it because you've learned it. You've, you know it because it's it's been part of you for many, many, many years. What does success look like for this business, apart from obviously making money, which I'm sure you will? What are the outputs going to be like? Because this is a very, you know, the total addressable market is women who work. That's pretty enormous and fantastic that that is happening. But how will you be able to sleep at night as a self-declared perfectionist? How will you be able to say, you know what, I did a good job? Well, it won't have just been me. No, of first course. Off. Of course. <laughs> but I think that's almost part of it. You know, when you're building a business, there's, well, there's so many facets, but two come to mind. There's the one that is about making a wonderful product that people want to use as part of their daily life. There's so much competition and noise out there. And, you know, many women manage their menopause in loads of different ways. But success is that the Stella app is something that delivers better menopause care to women around the world. And that means that they have access to the best information to make choices about their health, that they can, you know, get on top of the lifestyle and behavior changes that are complex at menopause, that they can access the medication they need, they can access the specialist support that they need, that they can have a community of people around them. Like right now on the app, we have women that join group coaching sessions each week or a Q&A with an expert. And the love notes that we receive after that basically say, you know, I was feeling kind of crap and then I joined a Stella session or I was dealing with a particularly rough symptom and I, you know, looked up some advice on the app and I feel better or I feel less alone. That is so rewarding. And so, you know, seeing that on a large scale that women feel more supported, better and able to make decisions about their health, that's fabulous. At a clinical level, like I want to see women manage their menopause symptoms better. I want the frequency and severity of symptoms that disrupt their lives to go down. I want to see women in work longer if they want to. You know, there's so many things that I want to see that I believe, you know, where we're starting from this small point can achieve. But the other facet is the business. Like it will only be a success if people, you know, continue to love coming to work every day that people who work with us right now go on to start other mission-driven great companies. 
I, I really care that that there's an alumni network or a group of people that loved working at Vera that it taught them to work the way McKinsey taught me to work. It made them feel like what they were doing was purposeful. It rewarded them financially. Like, I really care that we're building a business that that delivers on those great career paths as well. And that's a lot to do, right? Like building something that women love, that want to use mm. every day in their life, that improves their menopause symptoms, and creating this great environment well, it's not much, where people is it? like yeah. to work. I mean, it's a lot, but like by next Thursday, at least. Mm. Um, but like Rebecca and I are up for it, and we do have great investors that are along for the ride and realize how big and how important this is, and what a you know opportunity it is. And so I do feel both overwhelmed and like really excited for how much there is to do. Good luck with how much there is to do. I wish you all the very, very best. It's been fabulous talking to you. Absolutely. And yeah, I think it's, uh, I started with, you know, it's how long has it taken for this to happen? But I think it's in safe hands. This is this is hopefully going to make it all change. Eventually, it is a long haul. Just before I let you go, though, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Oh, absolutely. So I chose um, Take Five by Dave Brubeck, jazz standard of sorts. I'm sure someone else has chosen it before. No, <laughs> maybe a few times. <laughs> <laughs> um, fair enough. So, um, <laughs> like many kids, uh, I had great parents who encouraged me to play the piano as a child and dutifully took me to lessons every week. And this song was at the end of my natural ability and when I needed to start practicing. And so this is probably the last song that I played on the piano because I had been quite good up until this point. But it was a hard song, and improvising is incredibly hard. And I just watched the kids who were putting more work and more effort sail past me. And I think that is a really important learning moment. And I think like a lot of people in their 40s, I certainly wish I would have listened to my parents more and I would have stuck with the piano. But um, I have this nice reminder of that every time I hear this song. That was Dave Brubeck, of course, with Take 5, the song choice of my business shaper today, Andrea Berkowitz. This thought, what else are we not talking about that kind of came across this whole conversation is absolutely critical. We've got to address the big issues and menopause is a massive one. It taught me how to work. She talked about her previous life as a consultant and what it means in that environment to do a proper day's work and to get the most out of it. She talked about the love notes, the fact that there are people who are enjoying the product of Vera and feeling so moved by it that they have to actually send love notes, which I absolutely loved. And the notion of the people that she employs are there to go on to become mission-driven entrepreneurs in their own right. How generous is that? That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazz shapers.